On George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, we're looking at the Roger Corman-produced, Charles Beaumont-written sci-fi chiller Brain Dead from 1990. Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to George Kennedy. What a concept. I'm Doug Tilly. And with me, as usual, is my co-host on Cinema Smorgasbord Podcast, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Uh, you know, I'm letting all acquaintance be forgot. Be forgot. I don't, Excellent. I, I, I don't remember what that song's about. I Someone explained it to me once, and I don't It's about the Odd Long Sign. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I've sang it so many times, and then when someone finally explained it to me, I was like, oh, okay. And then it just went up. My, it Liam, went up my it's the year 2022. Man, how embarrassing is that? That's crazy. <laughs> Have you heard, Liam? I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there's this new product on the market called Soylent Green that we get to enjoy. <laughs> no, I saw the advertisement when I was in my flying car. Oh, I see, because you're living my in the future. My car that fly. I mean, other than magic phones, nothing that the future promised us has become real and it's really bumming me out we're we're starting to get into the time period where it's like reasonably something cool should have happened by now i mean lots of cool stuff happened liam it's just that i we're can't all even get to enjoy them no i can't even get a pancreas transplant all right come on what's what the fuck is going on here this i'm really bullshit. into and i mean sorry to get off of uh, this is actually on topic now that i think about it actually very on topic now that i think and think about it but Brain transplants, Liam. You know, I once read an article that said that if you were to transplant like a brain, right, into someone else's body and then hooked it all up, that you, the person, because of it, it, you know, everyone is kind of their unique entity, they just immediately go completely insane as soon as they hooked up all the bits. What do you think about that? <laughs> I don't know why we haven't tried it yet. Well, I mean, I feel like this is in the future for, for rich people, not like people <laughs> like you and me. Um, I mean, isn't that what happened in – no – I, for a second, I thought that's what happened in Deadly Friend, but I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> uh, a continuation of a project of this magnitude uh, requires a ringer. Someone is equally uh, excited to devote their years of their life to examining the output of George <laughs> Kennedy. You know her work from Talk Film Society, Looper, and My Old Stomach Grouse, Daily Grindhouse, and elsewhere. It's Sarah Jane. How are you doing today, Sarah? Hey, how are you guys? I'm good. I'm doing great. I you guess. can't talk to both of us. Only talk to me, the host. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Man. You guys are great. I had my conversation with Liam. Now we are talking to one another. Sorry. I know. Sorry. I am a cruel taskmaster of the host of George Kennedy's My Co-Pilot. I should say co-host, of course, because, Sarah, I want you to, I want you to feel the, the power of hosthood, and you can just push your way into things, and I want you to start doing that by answering every question that I ask you immediately, which is, uh, how are you enjoying 2022 so far? Um, it's pretty shitty actually. Yeah. You know, it's not great. You had, and I'm not, don't want to tread over the territory. You had not a great 2021. I think it's safe to say. 
No, it was my uh, it was my worst year ever in my entire life. Right. So I, I guess I maybe I did understate things when I said that just a moment ago. <laughs> it, <laughs> but it was I, bad, you know, fire, uh, homelessness, uh, yeah. you know, kid got COVID, hospitalization, my husband hospitalized at the same time. Um, you know, it, it's a nightmare, but I, I, you know, I have to hope that things are going to be better in 2022. I mean, in, you know, it ha- it has to be, right? I, I, I it's not going to be, no, I know. You know, uh, in our uh, final Cinema Smorgasbord episode of 2021, I, uh, I, I said to Liam something that I think is appropriate to hear, which is that it was a long December, but yes. there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than the last. Uh, the gentleman who came up with that had fake dreadlocks. What do you think about that? <laughs> That's the only song that I actually like by that band. And, <laughs> uh, I remember when I was um, moving from Los Angeles to Austin, uh, for some reason that song came on and it just made me cry because, Aww. you know, I was going to miss, and he, you know, name checks the Hollywood Hills and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, why am I crying to this fucking song? So, Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't, but it I, has I, to be better. It, you know what? It does have to be better. I feel that way. Liam, do you feel an optimism about 2022? Any optimism? No. No? But do you uh, feel any optimism about the song Mr. Jones by Counting Crows? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jones yeah. and me. Nice. Uh, man, Mr. Jones. Let me think yeah. if I have anything positive to say about that. About Mr. Jones or about the year 2022? Well, okay, 2022, if I'm being very um, objective about Mm. it, if I'm being objective about it, it has the potential to not be as bad as 2021. However, that same objective brain says, but it could be worse. So Mm. you don't know. You just don't know. (laughs) I mean, it it really could. I'm not not trying to defend 2021, but... uh, but it could everything could be better and everything could be worse. So for no. me, I, I you know I try to maintain a certain amount of po, po, not positivity, huh. um, optimism mm. about the possibility was what I was trying to get out right. uh, of of stuff in my own personal life without right. worrying too much about the larger context because as of right now my hopes for the larger social whatever are pretty negative um, and. and Feeling that they're negative can is like a double-edged sword because I think there's a small part of uh, of a certain segment of us that that always think, well, maybe if think, things get bad enough, we'll just burn it all down and that would be not so bad. You I know mean, what I mean? Like to that, I understand where you're coming. But from. I but I don't want to be one of those people that is actually waiting for that. To, like I'm not waiting for that to happen. I'm I'm all for immediate incremental change that I can enact in the world. Like I'm not against mm. mitigating pain. Because to not mitigate pain is cruel in my mind. But there's a small part of me that's like, well, if things do get worse, maybe we'll finally do something about it. But it's hard to say because we might not. We might just very placidly, you know, hang out till extinction. It's it's very hard to know. Liam, do you know what I think about the year 2022? Uh oh, what is it, Doug? I'm excited about it because I get to spend time with you, Liam, and with you. Uh, I think it's, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. We get to have our conversations about George Kennedy and other great artists. I really, I'm looking forward to all of the great recording that we're going to do this year. And you know, with that said, 
this is actually a major milestone for our Cinema Smorgasbord project, Liam. This is episode 100, and I want to make it special. And what better way to make it special than to talk at length about George Kennedy, the great character actor, Liam and Sarah, both of you. Yes. Sarah, how's your bread? <laughs> well, quite frankly, I just ate a Stouffer's pizza bread, so not mm -hmm. so great. Not so great. Liam, your breath? How, how is your breath? Oh, I just had like uh, pasta and meatballs with a ton of garlic, so. Oh, see? <laughs> yeah. Chickpea pasta. Don't worry. I'll be okay. Well, if you uh, were alive in the mid-90s, Liam and Sarah, you might be able to <laughs> rectify your terrible breath with a product called Breath Assure. Now, Sarah, do you remember Breath Assure? I do. I remember this commercial being on all the time. Yeah, there was actually all the time. this particular commercial that we're just going to talk about. Uh, and we're not just talking about it for no reason. We're not pitchmen here on George Kennedy's <laughs> My Co-Pilot. No, George Kennedy appeared in the advertisements for Breath Assure, this kind of uh, mint that you would put into your mouth and you would like chew it or suck on it or something like that. And it would give you fresh, clean breath according to this commercial. Liam, do you have any memory of Breath Assure? Not only do I have memory of the commercial, I have memory of someone buying me Breath Assure as a funny fuck you. Like, uh, oh yeah, man, I got you a present I thought you would really appreciate. And I was like, cool, thanks. That's really nice. I really appreciate that. And is that and like I, giving like giving someone deodorant as a gift to be like, uh -huh, hey, buddy, uh huh, uh huh. That's what a mean thing to do. Oh man, you. don't even uh, the the yeah. The, we let's start another podcast called "Mean Things People Have Done to Liam." It'll be about two hundred episodes. <laughs> well, I mean, thankfully, I've never been mean to you on any of our. <laughs> Otherwise, I might feel bad about that thing that you just said, Liam and Sarah. Let us listen to. The George Kennedy Breath Assure commercial from 1995. I'm George Kennedy for Breath Assure. Here at the Beverly Hills Country Club, people <laughs> love good food flavored with garlic, <laughs> onions, and spices. Me, I eat what I want because I have the revolutionary solution. Breath Assure, the internal breath freshener. Breath Assure works from the inside where bad breath often starts. My breath had always been so offensive. Like, wow. As opposed to the you outside, like, I don't even understand no, I that. I found my yeah, what does that mean exactly? Like, I, I mean, I guess the idea is that if you have a strong mint, it just covers it up. Like, people don't use, I know, I don't, I don't really use chapstick, but no one uses that as a way to sweeten their breath, do they? No. No, I, no, no what, right? That's ridiculous. No, that thing what, I what, what he's suggesting is that it's coming from your stomach acid. Right, of course. The breath but your sure. mouth is inside as well, right? Sure, totally. But I, I think the idea is that Breath Assure wasn't just a mint. It was like a medicine for your tum-tum. I like how they found some guy to say, my breath goddamn stinks. I have, I've always had horrible <laughs> issues with my heart. Okay, let's listen to the rest of this. A miracle product. Breath Assure has made our relationship a lot better. Breath Assure is oh. long-lasting. I swallow a few powerful capsules, and I have clean breath for hours and hours. I never forget my Breath Assure. To Warner Breath Assure, call 800-257-1257. So I'm completely wrong about Breath Assure, right? My description of it was completely off. Is that? Am I right about being wrong, Liam? Well, I think it's the capsule. You can stop then, now, Liam. We don't need to know how to actually... I want to know. I'm, I'm like, man. <laughs> but you have some. Um, but right. it works with your digestive system. I guess it works in the enzymes and breaks that down. I don't know. But I need to know, uh, before we go further, did you take... Yeah, the, uh, capsules, Liam. No, and no, 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 no. No, I, I, ha I've had a thing 
that I've like I, I think I've I've shed it at this point, but barely. And this thing was called the bathroom bin. It started in college where you would acquire all your bathroom stuff that you could take it into the bathroom. And then that bin just grew and grew until it moved with me from apartment to house to whatever. And there were medicines in there that I didn't throw away till they were like 15 years old. Just the craziest, all manner of stuff that I bought because I had a headache that wouldn't go away, sure, or a course. crazy back something, or I was pooping my brains <laughs> out, and I thought, oh, this snake oil will take care of it, and some of them I never even tried, and one of the things that I eventually threw out going, I'm never going to use this shit, was Breathisher. I just, I oh. never even, I never even opened it. I was like, fuck this shit, and fuck you. That's how, that's, I mean, I said when you that. Say, when you say fuck you, you were talking to yourself, right? No, to the person who gave me the fucking. Oh, I see. I just I thought yeah. you were talking on a wider scale about all of this medication. So no, well, certainly to some extent, yeah. When I finally threw it, around. I mean that's the thing. I very angrily didn't open it or try it, but then I kept it with me. I'm sure for a decade. Like I'm sure it was like eight years, nine years before I finally went. Oh fuck this and threw it out because I just kept moving this stuff from house. I still have at my house now a neti pot. You think I've ever used that? Come on, <laughs> I have that's never. I've used a neti pot before. It is un. Pleasant, and also I started reading about those brain worms you can get, and I, was, I started thinking that maybe, maybe I'm not going to use it anymore because I don't <laughs> want to have worms in my brain. The thing with me and, and the neti pot, I did actually try to use it when I very first got it, was that when I tried to use it, I was already so stuffed up that nothing went. It it was it was useless. <laughs> it couldn't get through my nasal cavity because there was it was too much stuff. So I just was like, well, this isn't going to work for me, and then I never tried it again. So my understanding. Uh, from hearing George Kennedy talk about Breath Assure is that, again, I was wrong. It's not like a mint that you put in your mouth. Well, you do put it in your mouth, but you swallow it. He said that you do it like ahead of time. You swallow these capsules into your stomach, and it will give you fresh breath. It'll basically work well, like, when you're, like when a you're, preemptive thing. When you're eating all those exotic spices like garlic and onion. <laughs> they love garlic exotic, and onions at a country club. Exotic spices like garlic and onion. You got to <laughs> eat something ahead of time or else you'll smell like death. It's like, forgive the comparison, it's like putting on a condom before going on a date, right? You're like prepping yourself ahead of time <laughs> for no matter it, what happens. It said it takes 30, in the commercial, it said it takes 30 to 45 minutes to work. Well, I guess if you take it at the beginning of a meal and eat yeah. very slowly, then you'd be okay. Um, here's, when you're drinking here, your cognacs with your friends at the, the uh, Beverly Hills Country Club? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it. he painted a very... Uh, distinctive picture about how this would work. Now, uh, I'm going to relay some information to both of you and our listeners uh, that might shock and surprise you, which is that Breath Ashore was garbage bullshit that didn't do anything at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, I'm not surprised <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I can say that because they went bankrupt in 2001 because they got sued because their product didn't work. <laughs> wow. I, I'm reading this from an article by Karen Robinson Jacobs in the LA Times from 2001, February 19th, 2001. Uh, it starts with, with millions of malodorous mouths worldwide and a catchy marketing pitch featuring actor George Kennedy that guaranteed clean, fresh breath that lasts for hours. The success of family-owned Breath Assure Inc. seemed, well, assured. But the company once hailed as a shining example of bootstrap entrepreneurship has landed in bankruptcy court and is set to be auctioned next month to the highest bidder. So it's kind of an interesting story in the sense that 
this family-owned company, Breath Assure, which made a product that did not work, they blamed like the, the creators of like certs and like other mints, breath mints and stuff like that. Like they were trying to, these giant corporations were trying to destroy this mom and pop company, which, you know, might've been true. However, they didn't have a lot to work to push against that because they were selling a product that didn't do shit. It just did not work <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, and when they were told, you know, in, in court, your product doesn't do anything. We have all this proof. They're like, hmm, well, people really want to buy it. So I guess it does work. And I think that was like their only way to push back against it. <laughs> Here's something that I thought was interesting, though. So basically what happened was they were sued in like 1998 and said, hey, all your commercials tell lies. And they were like, OK, we'll fix them. And then they didn't. And then they got sued again. And then they had to shut all of their stuff down. But what they did is they rebranded as Mint Assure instead. And I think and I might be wrong because I was looking it up earlier today. I think you could still buy Mint Assure. So maybe we can all still get Breath Assure under this different title um, if we just look it up online. I mean, certainly you could probably get Breath Assure on eBay right now. In fact, why don't you both talk amongst yourselves for a moment while I pop over to eBay.com and look up how much I could get a package of Breath Assure for? Oh, mm -hmm. Liam, like a... go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say I would have kept the Breath Assure uh, as just a cool little, uh, you know memento of the 1990s but you know i get why you didn't i just weird when i way. was when i was 28 i was pretty convinced that there weren't going to be nostalgic mementos from the 90s i assumed that the oh, future yeah. the future would overwhelm us and we would attempt to forget the 90s and now i know that that was silly and i should have saved all manner of like my hyper color <laughs> shirt and my fucking living color tour shirt and my Ninja Turtles. And I even had unopened X-Men action figures oh. that I gave to a friend who was just nerdier than I was. And I knew he would like keep them. And I was feeling like I wasn't going to be able to like keep them very well, you know? So I thought like, oh, this would be good for him. And now those Jones are worth irrational amounts of money. I mean, I, I even... Uh, at a uh, at a punk rock flea market, sold a bunch of my old toys, and uh, I guess I got ripped off so hard by the toy dealers who bought them from me that they <laughs> were verbally mocking me within hearing distance <laughs> as they walked away with my Castle Gray Skull and and stuff. Oh. Like, man, look at this rube! They let me have this Gray Skull for only a hundred bucks. What a jerk! Well, like, I've got some cool. news for the both of you uh, that hopefully will interrupt that story that I don't think was very interesting, Liam. Cool. Thank <laughs> um, you. I appreciate that. Which is that I searched on eBay.com for Breath Assure. Did not come up with the product. Did come what? up with different versions of antiseptic mouthwash. Not very helpful. But I will say that for $14.50, you can get an 8x10 of George Kennedy that has been hand color tinted. So it's a black and white photograph that someone has color tinted to look like it's in color. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, I did go over to a website called well.ca, which I do not promote in any way. And they uh, previously sold old stock of Breath Assure, which by the way, if you bought a box of Breath Assure, there were 160 capsules inside, um, quite a few, for $13.99. So it's probably still only worth that, Liam. So it's probably a good thing you didn't keep that in your little box of weirdness that you were bringing to bathroom to bathroom. Because you'd only be able to sell it for like 14 bucks. It probably cost around that when it first came out. Yeah, that's fair. So it I guess was. You're glad. It was 14.99 uh, on that commercial. It is it this is the end of the article, by the way. It was unclear whether this new company would include Lauren and Anthony Rayson, who are the creators of Breath of Shore. 
They believe it works based upon the fact that they get requests for the product still all the time. You can't use the name Breath Assure. You can't make any claims, but people still want the product. That says something. And I guess it does say something even in 2022 because now I want to try it. I want to see. I kind of have a belief. You know, if I believe in something strong enough, maybe it will just work. I feel like that's the kind of thing that people do and think in the year 2022, just like they did in 2021. Liam, what do you think about when celebrities promote a product that might be spurious or maybe not work at all? Do you feel any uh, lesser about that celebrity? It depends on the amount of money that people are being built for. Like in mm. my mind, the thing about Breath Ashore is that it does suck that it doesn't work, but we were all a little stupid to think it worked. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 not something I think it's worth getting worked up over. It's more the celebrities who are uh, selling, I don't know, life insurance policies or, you know, larger financial investments that people could actually like mess up their lives. That feels to me like something to be mad about, to be like, well, fuck you. Like, you know, if if at any point you're asking people to invest large amounts of money into something you know isn't going to work out for them or even you suspect isn't going to work out for them, that's a problem. But if you're just hawking some innocent snake oil that isn't going to hurt anybody, I don't care about that, man. Like, get your money. Come on. <laughs> All the different weird essential oils people are rubbing all over their bodies and stuff. That come on, get out of here. I don't care about that. Sell, sell, go sell amethysts or, or or various gems <laughs> and all that. Like you know what I mean? Like it, it's that's just up to individuals to be to decide for themselves. And who knows? Because the power of placebo is so strong. Right. Some people probably benefit from different snake oil bullcrap. You know what I mean? Still like, walking around thinking their breath smells like roses, <laughs> but it stinks like shit. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that I think that in this case with something like that, it's like, I don't know how obli I mean, I guess if someone said to him, hey, we found out that breath ashore causes cancer. Then he'd have to be like, well, then I'm done. I can't. Come on. But if someone's like, hey, I heard this stuff doesn't work. Come on. I don't care about that. That doesn't bum me out. It's 13 bucks that someone should have known better than to spend. That's not a big deal. <laughs> but I think it's. I think the problem is you do get people endorsing things that are much huger investments. that ends up Absolutely. ruining someone's life. Yeah. That's a, that's a very different situation. Sarah, you might know that Liam and I host a podcast about the actor Eric Roberts. Uh, absolutely. I was on said podcast. Uh-huh, you were. It was a great episode. You were on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, our podcast devoted to the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. Well, uh, in 2020, <laughs> speaking of, uh, of an actor <laughs> oh. pitching a product, now some of you listeners right now might be thinking of these series of commercials that feature Eric Roberts sitting in like an indoor bathtub. Of course, yes. indoor. What I mean is a bathtub that you can sit in, uh, which I guess that's actually not unusual. It's a shower thing that you can sit in. Anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about. What oh. I'm here to talk about is a different product that he was promoting in the year 2020. It was called the Rocket, and I'm reading from an Uproxx uh, article from 2020 that's called "Eric Roberts is promoting a device that zaps a man's penis with sound waves." to cure erectile dysfunction. And what? yes, for a, yeah, it's it's like a it's like a wand that you zap your <laughs> penis with sound waves and it's supposed to help erectile dysfunction and Eric Roberts was very on board with it as was his wife uh at the year in the year 2020. Hasn't been talking a lot about it recently. I can't imagine why that would be. Um but maybe it worked so well he just doesn't need to talk about it anymore. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on a uh, celebrity pitchman? 
Um, you know, what Liam was saying about celebrities who um, try to get money out of uh, like large investments, the mm. Tom Selleck reverse mortgage commercials. Oh, have you seen yes. those? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. like, you know, you can trust me. <laughs> I can't fucking trust you. Are you kidding me? You know, I, yeah. So I, those, no. I, I don't. I, I, I also don't the... like the ones where it's a religious, pr- like I'm thinking of our, our man, Ricardo Montalban and the, the crosses with the piece of the true cross in them. Oh. That always seemed like some real bullshit. Like that's like, it's the commercial. So manipulative that that also, bummed. even though the investment wasn't a huge amount of money, I was always like, come on, that's a bummer. Like really? Yeah. I want to hear R- R- Ricardo Montalban talk about rich Corinthian leather. Leather. Yeah. <laughs> There was a, do you guys know the actor Lyle Wagner? He was in Wonder Woman. He was like this, uh, the TV show Wonder Woman. Sure, of course. Yeah, he was like the army guy that um, that Linda Carter worked with. I, I don't remember his name. Sorry, uh, nerds who are going to yell at me for not knowing it. Anyway, and I don't think I dreamed this, but I haven't been able to find it on YouTube. Lyle Wagner endorsed um, a, some kind of penis pump. Oh. It, it was like a... He, the, the infomercial was like um, a chat show where there was a big audience, you know, and then there was the doctor on the stage and Lyle would be like Donahue where he would run up and down the aisles. But the thing was you would insert these balloons inside of you, like in your scrotum, and then you would squeeze it. And there was the, the thing that was like inserted also in your penis like a balloon, and then it would just pump it up. I mean, it was really um, gross and creepy, but I can't I've find some... it. And I know I didn't dream that. I mean, I know I didn't as, you know, a teenager dream that. No. I believe I believe famously this product was also explored and endorsed by Tammy Faye on uh, one of those Jesus programs. And in oh, fact, that was... That yeah, was in the movie, I think. It was in the movie, too. Yes. Yeah, but it was, it's actually one of those things where it's like Tammy Faye did kind of suck, but occasionally she was closer to open-minded than other Jesus people because she was like, I mean, you got to fuck, so here you go. Here's a way to get the dick up. Now, <laughs> right. it turned out that that whole thing was very dangerous and not a good thing to be endorsing. But I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Liam, but I'm reading an article from December 1st, 1988 from the Los Angeles Times once again called Experts Warn of self-treatment for impotence. And it specifically yeah. mentions this 30-minute commercial yes. starring Lyle Wagner in yes. it. Yes, uh, yes, thank <laughs> you. Oh, my God. It says, the show features a host, Lyle Wagner, a veteran of the old Carol Burnett show, a three-member panel that includes two board-certified surgeons, a public relations professional, a group of testimonial givers uh, portrayed by actors, and an audience. So it's, uh, yeah, you could inflate your penis uh, to get rid of impotence, Liam, please continue your thought process. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, 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 I very much, I very much understand why in that community, the fact that Tammy Faye was concerned with boners kind of makes her a little more open-minded, but it, I think it turned out that that product was very bad. Like I, again, I don't know all the research, but I, from what I understand, it was incredibly dangerous and hurt a bunch of people. So I think, I think you know, as much as there might have been good intentions on her part, uh, I believe a bunch of people severely injured their dicks trying to make it work. What if I was to tell you that I'm looking at the FTC website, which has a transcript of the commercial featuring Lyle Wagner. I fucking oh my love god. That. 
are so, a master. Of, so we uh, theoretically research. could recreate this entire commercial. As long as I get to be the dick guy, I'm good. I'm into this. Well, Liam, you're always the dick guy here on yeah. uh, George Kennedy is my co-pilot. You know, we have fun here on the George Kennedy is my co-pilot uh, uh, podcast. But what isn't fun is talking about movies. But I think we're going to take a little break. Because here today, we're here to talk about 1990s Brain Dead. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, let's see what everyone thinks about that movie. We'll be right back. Camp. How's every little floating thing? There is a limit, even to the imagination. Halsey was working on something big, cornerstone technology. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. People are so anxious to change their faces. What about their personalities, their very souls? You are about to go beyond that limit. <laughs> the new you from Eunice. But even the greatest discoveries. You have a special brain, a very special brain. Have a price. You need those numbers. Your life. You want him brain dead. You said anything about brain dead? Who the hell are you? What do you want? Dr. Rex Martin is a leading neurosurgeon specializing in the cerebral misfunctions that cause mental illnesses whose expertise is called up by an old school chum, Jim Reston, who is now part of the mega corporation Eunice. Reston needs Dr. Martin's help in extracting crucial data from the mind of John Halsey, once a top mathematician at Eunice, now a paranoid at the local asylum. Can Dr. Martin help both Halsey and his friend, or is he getting caught up in a corporate nightmare from which he may never escape? It's 1990's Brain Dead, directed by Adam Simon, also the director of Carnosaur, and one of the creators <laughs> of the television show Salem. Um, he's also known for writing the film Bones with uh, with Snoop Dogg in it, as well as uh, Books of Blood. He was one of the creators of that recent series, which I, has that even come out yet? I have no idea. I think it was on Hulu. Yeah, uh, and written, it came and went. It came and went. Uh, also, the written by co-written by Adam Simon, the director, but also co-written by Charles Charles Beaumont, who mm -hmm. uh, one of the most well known and beloved writers for. The Twilight Zone, as well as he wrote a lot of horror and science fiction work, but probably best known for that, as well as the scripts for Mask of the Red Death and The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau and The Intruder, uh, the, the, the terrific uh, Roger Corman film starring William Shatner. You might be asking yourself, listener, Charles Beaumont, that sounds familiar. Didn't he die well before this movie came out? <laughs> you would be correct. He actually passed away in 1967. But what they were doing, this is a film was released by Concord Pictures, uh, Roger Corman's uh, releasing company at the time. So Roger Corman's wife, Julie Corman, she had her summer interns go through several hundred old scripts that he had available. And they discovered this one by Charles Beaumont. Uh, I don't know if it was called Brain Dead at that time, but they uh, they liked it. They said it was by far the best. So they updated it. And that's how we got this film, Brain Dead, which stars, and this is very exciting if you have not heard of Brain Dead before, both Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton are in this movie. Uh, we were just debating before we started recording whether this is the only film that that's the case. You know what? I didn't look it up. I'm just going to say it. The only <laughs> film that features both Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton acting together. Uh, for some reason, and we're going to get into this in just a moment, people confuse these actors all the time. I want to talk about that in just a moment. This also has uh, Bud Court as John Halsey in it, Nicholas Pryor as both um, Ed Conklin and the man in bloody white suit that we see throughout the film, Patricia Charbonneau, and George Kennedy as Vance, mm. who I think is supposed to be like the big wig at Eunice. Now, people listening to this podcast might be a little confused about the title Brain Dead because if you are in horror circles or film circles, really, and you hear the name Brain Dead, 
depending on where you are in the world, you might be thinking of the film Brain Dead <laughs> by Peter Jackson <laughs> from the year 1992. However, if you are not in North America, uh, you maybe are not as aware of the title Brain Dead because that film Brain Dead by Peter Jackson here in North America, which is where we are all stationed, it's called Dead Alive. It had to be retitled. And the reason it was retitled, my understanding is, and uh, I've seen this backed up online in several different locations, is because of this movie. There was a movie called Brain Dead already, and they didn't want to release a movie that was either so similarly titled or maybe they were concerned about legal action. So the reason that Dead Alive is the name of Peter Jackson's film, which is a much worse title, by the way, <laughs> is because of this movie. So you can blame 1990s Brain Dead. Uh, but before we start blaming things on this movie, I want to get everyone's thoughts on whether it's worthwhile or not. I want to start with Sarah, Sarah Jane. 1990s Brain Dead. I believe this is your first time watching this film. Is that correct? It was. It is. Yeah. Um, what did you think? I thought it was okay. It Ooh, was strong <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I thought, honestly, uh, I thought it was Canadian because when I looked oh. at it, I'm like, this has the stink of Canada on it. Like now, it was... Unpack that a little bit. I'm only speaking as a Canadian. <laughs> I know. Do I have a stink about me? Should I be taking breath and sure? How bad this? <laughs> well, it's something my husband and I say because, you know, we watch a lot of movies and we'll watch a movie and uh, I was wrong in this case, but, but usually we'll watch a movie and maybe about 20 to 30 minutes in, I'll say, or he'll say, this has a stink of Canada on it. And we'll look it up. And yes, it was filmed in Canada. But I'm not talking about like something that was shot in Vancouver or whatever. It's just, it'll be something from the 70s. And it just doesn't look familiar. And, you know, a lot of things look like it's a wasteland or I, I don't know. But what? <laughs> I'm serious. It's like, it's, you know, it's wintertime and there's like no trees and it's bare. There's a William Shatner movie I'm thinking of that I know was shot in Canada. Anyway, another it's just actor a thing. with the stink of Canada all exactly. over. Exactly. It. <laughs> it's just a thing where we just have a feeling that something is made in Canada. And you like know, nine I, times out of 10, it's true. I'm having a little fun with you right now, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. I recently watched that movie, Santa's Slay, the one with Bill Goldberg as like a killer Santa. And uh, that movie has the stink of Canada all over it because it was obviously clearly filmed in Canada. But there's a different layer of it when you are Canadian, which is that there are certain canadian actors who appear in a lot of these productions and they're just there in the background or they have really small parts throughout it and you're like oh this is one of those canadian movies i know that for sure because <laughs> this guy is in it like julian richings who uh, I, he is a person that both of you might not know the name of but if you saw his fucking face right now you'd be like oh that guy that guy is in so much canadian shit even though he has a british accent for some reason <laughs> he's just one of those guys one of those canadian faces anyway Sarah, aside from, yeah, I'm just sorry. trying to get you off the topic of the Canadian stink because I feel so embarrassed by it. No, um, I'm sorry. Tell me about this movie. Um, it, it was okay, like I said before. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I wondered what the hell Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton were even doing in this movie because wasn't this this after Aliens? Oh. It was after Aliens and after, if I remember correctly, if I have the schedule uh, in my brain, after Spaceballs. So you would think they would both be a little too big for this. Right. And so it just, I don't know. I, for a while there, I thought, is this like a comedy? Because there was kind of a comedy thing at the beginning sure. where they mm -hmm. were pressing the thing on the, it looked like Catherine Hellman from, uh, you know, like 
from uh, Brazil. That's Brazil. absolutely right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or I mean, there's a Doctor Who there where they, I don't know, one of the new Doctor Who's, where they have someone that's pulled tight. Like, but her whole body is pulled tight. Okay. I stopped watching Doctor Who after they got rid of Eric Roberts as the master. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I thought maybe it was a comedy, and I'm like, okay, so these guys are in on the joke and whatever. And then I thought, wait, no, this is serious, and you know what the fuck. I do have to say, I, I wrote a few notes, but I have to comment. Why did they introduce Vance as Cyril? Isn't that name Cyril, like to everyone oh. on the planet? Mm. You know, it's funny that you did mentioned I... that. No, yeah. you're right. Cyril, because when I think of Cyril, I think of the classic Canadian cartoon series, The Raccoons, which featured Cyril Sneer as the villain in it. But you're right. I think of Cyril as a name. And maybe it's just to make the kind of otherworldliness reinforce it a little bit. There is kind of like a Lovecraftian edge to this, and intentionally so with the names, right? And there's a reference to Miskatonic University. Right. So I kind of felt like they were going for like a reanimator-ish yes. tone. To my it. husband's... So my husband was watching the first 20 minutes of it with me before he fell asleep this morning, but he did, he fell asleep. But he was like, oh my God, this has reanimator all over it. It look, even feels like reanimator, but cheaper. And I was yeah. like, is that possible? But yeah, <laughs> uh, it was I'm, very I'm, cheaply made. I'm sensing mixed feelings on the old brain dead here from Sarah, but I want to get your thoughts, Liam. Uh, do you feel as mixed on the film? I think it would be a very cool episode of television. Right. It has a very cable television in the 90s vibe. Um, I appreciate... I mean, it, just in the sense of, uh, as Sarah was just saying, it looks cheap. It looks... It's strange to see Pullman and Paxton, the Holy Bills, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the dual Holy Bills, in something that looks this cheap and and corny honestly some of the some of the um some of the sets work but some of the sets feel like we we just rented an office we just rented an office and bought a a a, a big table and like this will this will be fine and um I, I don't know it's there's just a lot here that feels kind of half-assed um but on the other hand i in theory, I feel like I should like this. So we haven't said a lot about you know th this is this is one of those um, uh, reality. It's one of those what is reality and what yeah, isn't. Yeah, reality right. bending things where uh, Bill Pullman's doctor character is asked to investigate um, a patient who uh, has suffers from paranoid schizophrenia, and he's you know does it wants to do some experiments on this guy. Uh, he undergoes his own accident, and then slowly reality starts to fall apart until maybe he's the patient who's been living in a delusion this whole time, or the you know everything's being turned around on him, and all the stuff that this paranoid uh, patient was afraid of is like happening to him, and you know whatever. But the the tension of it, it never feels. I never feel pulled into it. Like in theory, this sort so of you mean you mean you don't feel. Pullman into it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> almost exactly what I'm talking about here because part of the issue is that I feel like both Pullman and Paxton are not being uh, utilized particularly well. Right. Paxton, just a caricature of like, this guy's a creep. 
and Pullman like, hey, I'm I'm sort of soft spoken and 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 not sure how to act. So I guess that makes me endearing. And none of that is true. <laughs> like you don't connect with the characters at all. And um, when it turns out to be less of a Twin Peaks and more of a of of a uh, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. Right. Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. At this point, I don't, it's 1990. Come on. Um, uh, the the Jacob's Ladder of it all. What Jacob's Ladder did, besides having a trick ending, was uh make you feel like you're in a nightmare. Right. And though this movie attempts to have nightmare energy, most of the time you're just going, are you just fucking with it? It feels less like a <laughs> horrifying nightmare, more like someone is fucking with you. Like it's a prank. Like it's a prank on Bill Pullman and on you. You're all being pranked. And at some point, Aston Kusher is going to come out and say, <laughs> you're on punked. It's a, yeah. there's a punked. I punked you. And that's just not, there's no <laughs> tension there. There's, it didn't feel like, Anything was at stake. Now that does that to mean I'm making it sound like the whole thing's a failure. The stretched out face is creepy. All the brain stuff is a kind of creepy. The part where he maybe stabbed out the eyes of his friend and his <laughs> wife was actually kind of fucked. But a lot of the stuff in the movie that's meant to like be nightmare fuel is just mildly like, well, I guess that's not cool. But I don't know. It just it, it it lacks the power for for if you're going to make a movie where I'm meant to be questioning reality and that's where the horror is coming from, I have to have some stakes in what's going on, and I just never felt connected. If anything, it was like a like like me telling Doug a story, and Doug's like, just get to the point, so I know what this fucking story is <laughs> about, and not like he's actually invested in what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I've done that a few times in the past. I do think I like this movie more than the both of you. I actually think it looks a lot more expensive than most Concord films from this time period, including ones maybe like Carnosaur. Uh, but oh, yeah, uh, well, yes. But it has very kind of limited locations, and it has it has like cheesy... one location. Well, it's got the I... psychiatric hospital, and it's got the office that they go back to in different forms. But and... it's all the same place. I could tell and... when they were walking out and pretending it was the office. The they exterior. Got that, it was the same place of the uh, of the mental hospital. Which, by the way, why would you have a mental hospital designed like that? Like people could throw themselves. I over. was about to say it's everywhere. Is someone they could throw them and plus it's so it's, dangerous. It, also, it looks like the building from that movie Remote Control that kept distracting me. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> where the aliens was. are in Remote Control. You, you yeah. both have played right into my hands because I want to tell you that the production design of this film was done by Catherine Hardwick, the director of Twilight 13 and Lords of Dogtown, and she has intentionally designed this production to look, make it look off kilter and kind of a little crazy. So when you ask about the weird design of the psychiatric hospital, that's totally intentional. They're all whacked out. Uh, Stop no. it. That's, that's ridiculous. That's, that's an after the fact. <laughs> well, be that, that as it may. That was a scramble. I'm throwing that out into the world. Uh, I did like this more than I think to the both of you, simply because I really kind of dig that, you know, the reality bending aspects of it though what both of you are kind of uh, both hinting at and saying directly which is that this movie feels like it should be about 45 minutes long not yeah, an hour exactly. and a half because everyone's like a shorthand version of themselves it's like oh pullman's a nerd 
Paxton is an asshole, right? There's no setup whatsoever. They just get they get it over with that they had that Pullman and Paxton have a relationship. Paxton has been an asshole his entire life. That he's interested in his wife. He's jealous of him, and that's like it's it feels like that's a setup for like a Twilight Zone episode that they're getting out of the way in the first five minutes, and then they're going to you know that this will all happen, and at the end you're like, oh my god, he died on the operating table. <laughs> Spoiler alert! And this was all in his head the whole time, and you're supposed to feel. Like that feels like something satisfying because you knew that the package had to all kind of unravel so quickly. In this, there feels like there's a lot of wheel spinning at the midway mark. Uh, and there's a lot of imagery that, like you said, Liam, is meant to be nightmarish, but doesn't really go far enough. I think some of it works. Some of it is kind of unique. I like that bit where you see Bud Court with his head like cracked open, sitting at like the tea party with those two old women. That's when it does kind of get into Lynchian territory a little bit. And when it's weird is when it's at its best. But I do want to talk about this Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton conundrum. People get confused between these two actors, probably because wow. their names are Bill and that their their last names start with P. But I, it's never happened to me before. I, it's just no. because their whole personalities that they present on film are so different. Why is it now, Sarah? You seem very upset at the even the suggestion that people confuse <laughs> these two actors. Why do you think people do, or do you not believe it? Do you think you know what they're pretending? They know the difference. How could you not know the difference? Well, I get that people would not know the difference because a lot of people are just morons. Hey, now, but, but I yes. mean, if you watch any movie with either of these guys, they're like you just said, they act totally different. My problem with these guys in this movie was. You know, my first experience with Bill Paxton that I really remember, I mean, I guess I saw him in Aliens, but, you know, I was young, was as Chet in Weird Science. Yeah, Weird Science, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So in this movie, you know, I got Paxton as Chet, and he is kind of that character. I mean, he always kind of is this character in a lot of his movies. And then I've got Bill Pullman, who I guess I saw him in... Um, the Serpent and the Rainbow, maybe. But to sure. me, he's like the journalist from Newsies. So I've got Newsies <laughs> versus Chet. And not and Lone then, Star from Spaceballs. I'm, I'm totally throwing that out there simply because that was such no. a defining film for myself in the late 80s. I, I didn't want to watch that movie. Fair like enough. That, that humor is not me or wasn't me at that time. But well, also, Sarah, let me tell you something. I know that people love Spaceballs. I'm going to throw that out there. It's not good. It's not funny. It's okay. not very good at all. Okay, See, let's continue. My instincts were correct. Anyway, <laughs> then, but then you got Nicholas Pryor in there, who I know is Chancellor Arnold from 90210. So he's supposed to be the bloody guy in white running around. So so I got Chancellor Arnold, and I don't know the Bill Pullman's name from Newsies off the top of my head right now. How dare and you. And then I've got Chet. And then there's George <laughs> Kennedy. And so, you know, that I couldn't divorce myself from that. So, so that might so, have made a better movie. I don't know. So instead of confusing Bill Paxton for Bill Pullman, you are so invested in other characters that, that these <laughs> actors have played that you can't divorce yourself from that, from those I characters. Think I, no, I think I can, but because this movie wasn't good for me, I just went there in my head. And so that's Sarah, what I was doing. Who yes. do you prefer, Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman? Boy, boy, I can't even say their names very clearly. Paxton or Pullman? I don't know. I, I they're so different. That if if they were if they were the kind of the same and acted the same, then. But I guess who's oh God? I don't. I know it's it's I, it's grueling. It's difficult. I'll help know. you out. 
The answer is Bill Paxton. <laughs> I mean, if I guess if I look at their body of work, I would have to go with Bill Paxton. What do you think, Liam? Yeah, Bill you're Paxton. Right, you're right. Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman? Let us know. Oh, obviously Bill Paxton. That's not even fair. It's not even fair. I mean, he directed Frailty, which actually also has kind of a yeah. a, a reality bending. Well, aspect. and and he's a he's a he's a friend of a friend. So I, you know, if not I anymore, was because I've got I was, some bad news for you, Liam. He passed no, away oh, I know, there. but I'm saying if if I was better friends with that person, I could have met him. Uh, so that's cool. Like that's like even more cool. Liam, um, sorry yeah. to interrupt you as you're talking about this. Do you remember the song? Fish heads by Barnes and Barnes. Yes. Roly Roly Poly fish heads. Yeah, yeah. right. Roly well, Poly fish heads. That's right. Heads, <laughs> that's the fish, that's the exact one. Eat sorry. them up, yum. I, I took, took a fish, fish head, head out to out. sea. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> the, I don't bring this up uh, out of nowhere. Uh, it's because I bring it up, or I should say, I bring it up because. Uh, there's a music video for Fish Heads by Barnes and Barnes featuring Bill Paxton. Love that. He takes um, he takes the fish head out to see a movie. And he didn't right. have to pay to get it yeah. in. Yeah, that's right. I like oh, I do like that. Here's so here's sorry, let please, me, tell let me, me let about me your good you. friend who's friends with Bill Paxton. No, what I'm gonna do is solve this issue for you because it's yes. really ridiculous that you are having this problem. No one actually confuses Bill Pullman for Bill Paxton. Right. To See? even to even suggest it is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The well, I'm issue, gonna say, I'm gonna say no, something ridiculous no, after I'm, you know after after you finish. I'm gonna the say issue is that neither one of them is famous enough for most people to remember their names. Oh. That's all that's all it is. When how many times was Bill Paxton on our Arsenio Hall? Honestly. Maybe once. That means yeah, I don't he's not think famous. anyone's ever asked that question in the history of the I know. <laughs> My we're, mind just exploded a little bit. <laughs> because you're not because you're not remembering, we're talking about two men who would have been famous in the nineties. Thus Arsenio Hall is the only relevant measure. And so therefore, if neither one of them were on Arsenio Hall more than three times, no one remembers their name. Period. And their names are too similar for most people to care that they are so different they could not be more different if they tried there is like there well i mean they could not be white but other than for for two for two for two acting white you know cis men they are pretty different and once you see them you know they're different and you know and and most people who confuse them know they're different people by image but what they can't fucking remember is which of their name and 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 the reason i know this Besides the fact that, by the way, Doug, I've made this mistake most of my life. Of course. Over and over and over again. Embarrassing. I I know the guy from Aliens. I know the guy from Aliens wasn't the president in Independence Day. Right. But what are their names? I don't give a fuck. That's the issue. And, well, I did starting in my 20s. But when I was 15, I couldn't care. Uh, But this went on to other people. Like all the three-name actresses, you know? I know in my brain... That like they are different. Melissa Joan Hart or uh, Mary Stuart Masterson or Sarah Jessica Parker. Visually, these are all different people. But when I was like eighteen, it was like you know she's got three names. I don't know what are the three name people. I couldn't remember. It, it doesn't. I, I the same way that like I've been a John Carpenter fan since I was eight, but I didn't know that until I was almost thirty years old because I didn't know he made all the movies I loved because I didn't fucking care. It, it it most people until they get interested in movies don't remember folks unless they're so famous that they're on People magazine or whatever the fuck every other day. They just don't remember. 
and, and I still run into this. People who I think of are very like right now we're inundated with Timothée Chalamet. Like he's mm-hmm. in every fucking movie. And I still interact with humans who are like that guy. What's his name? You know, it's like French, French guy. And I'm like, well, he's not. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Timothy Shaw, that's what you mean. He's like, yeah, that guy. So you're saying, Liam, that this issue, the Pullman-Paxton conundrum, is not related to any sort of face blindness. This is just a, they have not, uh, the people who, who deal with this, like yourself, they just don't give a fuck enough about these actors to remember which one is which. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- well, in general, they don't care about actors, not just these ones, unless those actors have been pushed up into giant celebrity status and they tend to just forget people's names. They just don't stick with them. Uh, and you know, I remembered their names enough to know that there was two actors, Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman. But until I was probably like 25, I couldn't remember which was which. I don't know if you've ever heard about this before, either of you, but there are a number of people out there who had a lot of confusion watching the Martin Scorsese film, the departed, uh, which starred Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon, two actors that look alike in the sense that they are like blondish you know actors but they couldn't like understand or be able to tell these actors apart that when they were watching it they constantly got confused by these two actors watching the movie and because of that it made the movie very frustrating to watch this is a very common thing that that's real yeah absolutely you'll see it all over reddit just tons and tons of people they don't look anything alike matt hey. damon is gross and leo dicaprio is like hot although maybe not so much in that movie but well hey look i don't have different well i guess they're I, white men okay all right I they, they in the grand scheme of things that exist in the universe they actually look quite a bit alike <laughs> okay. but but in the scheme of actors in a movie especially starring like like Hollywood actors that we are extremely familiar with because we see them all the time. No, you're right. They don't look alike whatsoever. But people, and I'm talking about the royal people, the when I don't, yeah. I mean like everybody, they just don't know what they're doing or what they're talking about. And like Liam here, they don't pay enough attention. So they don't care, right? So it does kind of pull back to what you were saying, Liam. You got to care. I think I think those I think those comparisons are ridiculous because <laughs> when you when you say people couldn't tell the difference between Matt Damon and uh, Leonardo, DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio, I think oh those people have like a they have like a they're they they're not neurotypical is what you're telling me like right. not neurotypical people couldn't tell the difference because they just don't look anything like whereas forgetting some random guy's name who's only been in a couple movies you like is a normal thing i tend to think that those of us who and i am now one of you can remember the names of all these people we're the weirdos and normal people are too busy with whatever the fuck they care about to have that kind of concern (laughs) and that's why they can remember things like when the taxes are due or you know what the interest rate on their car is or whatever it is normal people care about we Speaking of us hosting this program right now, we can function in society and know who Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman are. That's just, that's all I'm I'm not convinced that's, based upon my life and what I know of your life, I'm not convinced that's true, I think this is more about a self-criticism than anything else. Please, Sarah, continue. I was just going to say that my husband calls uh, those people the 80 percenters, which they like movies that are just, you know, like sing to... And all the movies that are made for like general people that the normal movies that just come out. And then there's a 10% of people 
who will only watch like Criterion movies or, well, I'm not going to watch anything that I think's not uh, above a four a four star movie because I follow those people on Twitter and so sure, they exist absolutely. But there's also uh, a ten percent at the and my husband numbers are wrong because you know we're like uh, both of the ten percents combined. Uh, but there's a ten percent at the bottom who will only watch like trash. Yes, that's true. Like grindhouse stuff or or even, I mean, that's even highbrow for some people. They just sure. watch the absolute worst and don't want to watch Criterion because they're just like, oh, fuck that. That's too pretentious. So that's his, his thing. And I'm like, so what are we? Because we'll watch both the trash and we like the, you know, the top 10%, but the bottom 10%. What percentage are the people who have an answer. George- George Kennedy themed podcasts. You're right. That's what you I'm. Know, that's fair. Those are the bottom percenters. <laughs> at the bottom ten percent. No, I'm serious. Look, I have a subscription to the Criterion Channel, and yeah, so do I. I have a podcast devoted to the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. See, so we're both. Yeah, the, we're yeah. the top and the bottom. We're the twenty percent, I guess. I don't Sarah, know. It's my husband's theory. Uh, I don't like to exclude so many potential listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I know so many sources of revenue for Doug. So many sources of potential revenue once they get on the George Kennedy train. I want to talk to both of you about Bud Court, an actor I have a lot of time for, but unfortunately, the American public doesn't seem to have as much time for as I do. Bud Court plays um, the character in this film that Bill Pullman goes to check out at the psychiatric uh, uh, center. This guy has apparently killed his entire family, has this piece of information that he needs to do brain surgery on him to uh, to retrieve. We find out it gets a lot more complicated than that. He may not even exist. But he's played by the great Bud <laughs> Court, who you might know from the legendary Harold and Maude, uh, of course. He was a uh, adorable young man uh, who turned into a weird, creepy-looking older man. But that works, too, <laughs> as an actor. Sarah, your thoughts on Bud Court? Um, this In the movie... Uh, his he sounds like some other actor that I like, and I couldn't figure out. I spent the entire runtime when he was on, like closing my eyes so I could try to figure it out. I was, and I couldn't figure it out. So somebody, if you know who Bud Court sounds like, it's like a, a more modern actor. Please tell me. Maybe you um, were confusing him with himself when he was younger because he looked so different. No, no, no. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not a fan of Harold and Maude. I'll say it. Sorry, guys. I don't love it, but you know, I was thinking when you just asked this question, oh gosh, I don't really know if I've seen that many Bud Court movies, but I'm looking at his CV right here and I absolutely have, especially when he was younger. But I think like it says here, he was in an episode of Bates Motel, which, you know, I've seen that through three times. No, no, I think it, this I is actually, the, this is the TV, made for TV sequel to that franchise from 1987 he oh, started well, no it. wonder why yeah no yeah, yeah. Why. okay oh yeah i see it eight, 87 duh okay but like i've seen the chocolate war i've seen uh, rooster mcleod he's very yes. good at rooster mcleod i've seen heat so i guess uh you know but i'm a cheerleader i've seen all these things but i just don't pick up that it's him so um you know so you he, don't like him i get it you're not a big uh bud I, court fan He's just there. I like, think he's pretty good he in this. In Columbo. I don't know him from an episode of Columbo. What if I told you he was in Theodore Rex with Whoopi Goldberg? Uh, I would tell you that I had never heard of that movie until just this second. Uh, worth checking out. Uh, Liam, 
Do you have any feelings on Bud Court, either positive or negative? Uh, I really do like Harold and Maude. So that's sort of like my, when you brought that up, I thought, oh, okay. I, I didn't realize that was this gentleman. Now that I'm looking at his IMDb, I've appreciated him in a number of things, but only for a moment, right? Like I haven't seen a ton of things where he is carrying even as much weight as he's carrying in this movie. Right. And I do like him in this movie, but I think generally, I mean, there's enough material here for someone to do a podcast. <laughs> and yet I feel like you would have like two seconds in most of these movies. Like, really? I don't know. I mean, you're probably right. Yeah. He doesn't have large parts and probably a lot, especially over the past 20 years, though. He was pretty notable in the life aquatic. I mean, he was, I mean, that felt like an, an attempt to give a great actor. For some reason, I don't remember what he did in the life aquatic. I don't either. <laughs> I've seen the movie once. I'm not, you know, Wes Anderson is, you know, he did star. I've never seen this film before, but Bud Court starred as Willie Hitler in a film called Son of Hitler from 1979, where he co-starred with Peter Cushing as the son of Adolf Hitler. Any thoughts Ooh. on that, Liam? Sure. That a comedy, great. I should mention. Uh, where can I find that? That's an excellent I, question. I'm, not, I'm very curious about this. In fact, I want to stop what we're doing right now, talking about a movie that either neither of you seem to enjoy whatsoever, and instead watch Son of Hitler. <laughs> Liam, I, I get my husband on it. He'll find it. We'll we'll track her down. Uh, Liam, we are SJWs. Sure, that sounds accurate. Right. We we care about social justice. We care about how mental illness is presented in films, and we care about it being presented accurately. Now, I think it's safe to say that the way mental illness is presented here, where you go to a psychiatric hospital and everyone is dancing around like Kate Bush in the background, that that's probably not accurate to how it is in real life. Do you have any problems with that? I mean, this film is certainly not the only one, not by a long shot, that treats mental illness as sort of this almost a magical type thing that is is very difficult to understand. Did it bother you that this film treated it maybe not so seriously? So the... the... Overall, no, because a lot of the movie is not happening. It's right, it's, and so it's it's hard to worry about the accuracy. And I do think a lot of the movie is meant to feel, to some extent, ridiculous. So, so I don't know if it's worth worrying about it too much. I I do think though, like it is a tendency of this time period to rely on mental illness as it, not just that it's an unfair portrayal of a real thing. It's also cheap, right? It, that's yeah. that's the thing I think, and, and and this is my privilege talking, but my privilege is that I'm not just offended, I'm annoyed that it's like such an easy go-to when we just want to freak people out because- This is good SJW content right now, by the way. Please continue. I mean, I'm just saying it's it's cheap. <laughs> it's, 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 no, you're right. It's not, it's not just, because here's the deal. I think that a number of people I know who deal with mental health issues- uh, and might be sensitive to this sort of thing, kind of write off this whole period as the fucking dark ages. So they're like, yeah, yeah right. of course the portrayals suck. All of the portrayals are bad. Like it's not worth worrying about unless it's particularly bad or if it particularly affects the movie. And for me, the, what that translates to for, for me generally is I'm not worried that these are so caricatured, but I do worry that it becomes such a cheap thing to do, especially in horror, that the way to make everyone feel uncomfortable is be like, there are people there that are doing crazy things. Oh, look at them. Look at what they're doing. Oh, and that's just supposed to make everyone uncomfortable. And like, to be fair, um, as someone who's worked uh, in homeless services, uh, that's 
when when I'm uncomfortable around someone who is having uh, mental health issues, they're not dancing around being right. silly. It, 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 you know what I mean? Like that's not that's not real, and and so it, it it feels to me like they're not getting at what is frightening. And honestly, the 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 mental health portrayals that are frightening to me, regardless of their accuracy, are the ones where I emotionally identify with someone who isn't sure if what they're experiencing is real. Because that happens. I have friends right. who yeah, are regularly, stuff, yeah, right? regularly yeah. like, is this happening? Am I experiencing reality right now? That's fucking terrifying. Some person being silly or maybe you know doing gross stuff is like, I guess that's upsetting. But it, it just doesn't. It just feels like such an easy thing. It's the same as you know in the eighties in all these crime films where they would just rely on like we're on an urban street and a not white person approaches. Now everyone is scared. It's yeah, like, yeah. God, not only is this racist, it's also lazy. It's, it's like you've, you've combined the two most terrible things, which is like your prejudice and your privilege, but also an unwillingness to put the work in to do something that anyone is going to care about. So like, you know, that's, that's more my bummer. Uh, in this movie, it could have gone that way more for me doug if it didn't turn out to be the dude is fucking dead or he's his brain we're just seeing his brain in a jar basically also, you know I mean? also the idea that that the mental illness aspect is a little bit tempered by the idea of it being a physical issue that should sure. be addressed i i mean one of the things i like most about this film is that sort of satirical side right the idea that this brain surgery is being funded so people can change their personalities that they can remove memories that they don't want to deal with anymore and that this could be as commonplace as plastic surgery that this is a company that's looking to market this into the public which is the idea that hey brain surgery as a way of self-improvement let's say yeah i think that's fair sarah any issues with how uh mental illness is presented in this film no i think i agree with what liam just said um you know when you find out most of it not all of it he's dead only when he gets hit by the car is sure uh, yeah everything before that is I think a lot so, of this is up for debate. I mean, who knows how much of it was real and what wasn't? I mean, you're right. It actually gives you kind of a definitive answer at the end. Right. Yeah. It was, yeah. He got hit by the car. And then, so everything after that was, you know, in his head. Um, so some of it was real. So the portrayal of when he went to the mental hospital the first time, I think, was real, right? When he went to go see Bud Court and he took his yeah. wallet. I think but, so. But then he got hit by the car when he went back to the office to pick up a brain. I don't know. Now no, I'm, maybe the, I'm confusing the, it. The wallet thing was later. The first visit, he just does some tests. Yes, like, you're right. You're yeah. right. So, but that bit, the first visit is where he goes to the eighth floor and they're looking down and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to all die because they're just going <laughs> to throw themselves yeah. over the edge. So that, so that was, they were portraying the mental, uh, hospital you know i guess poorly in, in that sense but you know sarah that actually does play into uh another question i have which is this is a film where you're never quite sure for most of the running time whether you're seeing literal reality or not it's tr- constantly playing with what is and isn't real like liam was saying you know this does play into actual mental health uh, things that people deal with right disassociation the idea of not fully trusting the reality that you're in do you find that frustrating? I know some viewers do, right? That, that if you watch a movie like Identity, that one that uh, with John Cusack, you know, the idea of they or or actually maybe the, the greatest example of this 
is high tension and, you know, realizing at the end that maybe what you thought was happening isn't necessarily happening and feeling very frustrated with the rules that were broken uh, ahead of time that, that people who know that movie know what I'm talking about. Do you ever get frustrated by that, Sarah, that when you not when you're not sure what's going on or do you find that exciting and intriguing? Um, I think it, de- it it depends on if what they're doing is like boring, right? And so I can't kind of <laughs> see what's happening. You know, I, I like it's fine if I'm like, okay, they're trying to fuck with me here, and so I'm fine. I will go along with it. But sometimes it's really good if they can fool you until the end, and if they do it well enough, I'm not mad. I don't like this ending. I'm like, oh, come on, you know, it's kind of a, a bullshit ending so i felt i felt a little frustrated in this particular case because at one point bill pullman it's the sequence that he is at dinner with with his wife and you know bill paxton and george kennedy show up and he's acting like like he's suffering from mental illness not just drunk but like completely starting to lose it a little bit and it's just like well he's our protagonist who am i rooting for at this point he seems like he's already gone and i think at that point i kind of lost kind of a connection with the emotional core of this movie, which I did. I I was sympathetic for Bill Pullman because it kind of felt like, you know, everyone was trying to screw with him at first. And then you find out that it's a much kind of a larger issue than that. So I felt that I was a little frustrated by it at times. Liam, your thoughts? Do you get frustrated watching these movies where you just don't know what is and isn't reality? Only if I feel like they're particularly cheap. Like if I feel like they're not, um, like they if they set up, rules or expectations that they don't follow through on or if they use cheap techniques to make me sort of question stuff or if something like if they do offer an explanation and the explanation doesn't work for what they have already established because i think sometimes with these movies it's a lot easier to show a bunch of upsetting things and then later on be like oh it was all just this and it's well. Does that really? It work? is an extension of that cliche, right? Like the character yeah. wakes up from a dream, and then it's like, oh, that none of that what you just saw happened. Some people get very frustrated by that as well, right? Little dream sequences within. The movie. But it really depends on the movie itself. So, like, again, I already referenced my favorite example of that that I think is actually underrated is Jacob's Ladder. I, I think there right. are t- a ton of people that are like, oh, what a cheap movie. And You're I'm talking like, about the remake, of course, from a couple of years ago. No, eat my entire <laughs> ass. <laughs> No, that that Jacob's Ladder is just a. I think that's a brilliant nightmare film that has a lot going on, and I get that maybe people did feel cheated by how it resolves, but it works for me. Um, but there are plenty of examples that use similar visual techniques to what is in Jacob's Ladder or ideas, narrative ideas, but then don't have the same follow through. Right, Sarah Liam. We're here today to talk about George Kennedy, the actor, who appears <laughs> as Vance, the I guess the CEO of the Eunice Corporation that has uh, that is has hired in some way uh, uh, Bill Pullman. Well, I get confused on the names now. That has hired Bill Pullman mm-hmm. to do this brain surgery to try to retrieve this information from Bud Court's brain. Um, we do not get a lot of George Kennedy in this film, which is my fault. I didn't remember how much George Kennedy was in this, but this is going to happen sometimes. It's a reality of having a podcast about a character actor is that sometimes you don't get a lot of him. However, he is in this film to give it a little bit more weight, to give it a little bit more star power. He's included within those four names that are kind of the names of this film, the Pullman, the Paxton, the Court the Kennedy. Uh, I want to get a sense of what you thought of that performance. I know there isn't a lot of it, but he is sprinkled throughout the film. Uh, starting with you, Sarah, what are your thoughts on George Kennedy as Vance in Brain Dead? 
I think like the breath assured commercial, you know, <laughs> I love it. A, Bring it back home. That's great. <laughs> it's a paycheck. You know, George Kennedy got to eat. So, you know, I guess he's got to eat so he can freshen his breath afterwards. Exactly. See, it all does come around. <laughs> I think he, you know, was on set for a day and probably got like, you know, $10,000. I remember <laughs> I had a friend who was gonna, No, I, you know, I, it's a long story. But anyway, I have a friend who was making a werewolf, a such, uh, not a werewolf movie. What am I saying? A Bigfoot movie. And he wanted to hire Lance Hendrickson. And the movie actually came out. I think it's like Sushwatch Hunters, maybe. Anyway, uh, so he wanted to hire Lance. And then Lance is like, okay, look, I just, you know, I'll do it. I need $10,000. And I don't, I can't remember what the other thing was, but it was something really basic. But my friend, of course, didn't have $10,000. So he wasn't able to hire him. But, you know, they're not. <laughs> what amount would have been comfortable for him to hear from Lance Hendrickson? <laughs> I don't know. Probably like, you know, five, maybe. He was willing to to spend some money, but not. 5000 yeah, That's Eric Roberts. Money. Right. That's but I think, <laughs> you know, I think he maybe it was 10000 a day because he would have right. had to have been on set for, more, you know, it wasn't just George Kennedy, you know, three scenes and out kind of a thing. Right, 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 right. But so I think that's probably, you know, what it was for him. And so. You know, he can turn it on. He just sits there, you know, he kind of barks a little bit, was a little bit stern. And then when he saw what he wanted, maybe he had that nice clap. And then I'm like, <laughs> all right, he's buying it. He's like, yes, I can destroy this person. I can get him to uh, back to remember and get all this, you know, information that I want. You can see the dollar signs. He was selling it. So, you know, he, he he's George convince- Kennedy. He did look convincingly disgusted as he walked out of that dinner after Phil <laughs> yeah, Pullman was acting all straight. He's he like, did. I'm out of here, never to return. Liam, I I know that you're already skeptical about the idea of doing a George Kennedy-based podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With that in mind, what did you think of his performance in Brain Dead? If I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm skeptical. Like I, I recognize him. He seems like a guy that people care about. Uh, but <laughs> at least two cons- people. <laughs> considering considering we went from a movie that's really obvious, like yeah, sure, okay, George Kennedy, that really makes sense. <laughs> to this, it, it, you know, you didn't really set me up to be encouraged about the future of this podcast, Doug. Because <laughs> Liam, these any, are his two most famous roles. Any old word, literally, <laughs> literally, any old white man off the street could have been in this movie. Like well, he, he's just he's just there to be big old white man. That's it. I mean, yeah, he'd have yeah. to be tall. Like, like George, you know, he's meant to be imposing. Oh no, it's the boss. And like at this point in his, in his age, like at this, at this age, he's in this movie. He is literally the physical embodiment of the boss man. Like he is the boss. Like you just see him. You're like, Oh look, that guy's in charge of something. I don't know what, but he runs something like, yeah, that's fine. But there's nothing for him to do here. This is classic Eric Roberts syndrome of like, he is. Here's a recognizable dude for this movie who has got nothing to add, but at least he's here and he's not bad. I mean, uh, you know, I say anyone could do it. Uh, it's not really true. A, a lot of people could have really sucked for the few minutes he's on screen. He doesn't suck, but there's nothing he gets to do where you're like, there's George Kennedy. There he is. He got to do he got to do his thing. He doesn't even chomp a cigar even once. Like, I don't even know if he was in the movie. Um. 
I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, I disagree a little bit in the sense that I do think that, you know, he brings a little bit of gravitas to that role, but it certainly doesn't show off his skills as an actor to any great extent. He doesn't even really get a showcase scene in the film. Um, and I felt a little bad about it, knowing that you haven't experienced a lot of George Kennedy. It just didn't feel like I was presenting him at his best, Liam. But that is why I have chosen a different film to feature on the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. And this one will give you more George Kennedy than you can handle, Liam. <laughs> because he stars in it. It's a movie from 1975 called The Human Factor. The plot is, after his family is brutally murdered for an unknown reason, a computer engineer sets out to find those responsible. George Kennedy is a computer engineer in 1975. <laughs> you, This movie is out there. And I've seen it semi-recently, so I can say that with some confidence. It's also, I think, criminally underseen and undervalued. Sarah, do you know this film, The Human Factor? I don't, but I'm looking at the director right now, and I'm like, that's a name to conjure with, I think. Yeah, and so, absolutely. Um, I am, if it's Kennedy, and he's going on revenge, and I'm looking at that poster, and if he's going around killing people, that is in my wheelhouse. Well, absolutely. set your expectations high, and then lower them just a little bit. Uh, because <laughs> on the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we will be discussing 1975's The Human Factor. And Liam, I'm going to get you back on board the George Kennedy plane, and you're going to be so excited about the year 2022 and all the George Kennedy that you're going to be experiencing. What do you think about that? Yeah! Yeah! Uh, I'm so glad that we got to spend this first episode of Cinema Smorgasbord for the year 2022. I get to spend that with my good friend Liam, with my good friend Sarah, talking about one of my favorite topics, George Kennedy, even if it was a film that apparently <laughs> neither of you enjoyed very much. I guess I got to win both of you back to a certain extent. Uh, Sarah, if people want to check out some of your work online or elsewhere, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, most recently now, I am a contributor uh, critic for the Austin Chronicle. So that is where you can find most of my recent um my recent writings. We'll, of course, link that in the show notes. Liam, new year, new work over at Cinepunks. I know you want to you wanna knock it out of the park this year. A lot of great content. What, where can people check that out? Where can people check you out? Uh, well, I think you know they can not only find the latest episodes of this podcast, but a whole family of podcasts, as well as, I'm hoping for the new year, some great writing from myself and from some of the other writers over at Cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Uh, as well as our merch store and, and all kinds of other stuff over there. Um, if they are looking for our archive of episodes, they can head to cinemasmorgasbord.com uh, where they can check out the variety of topics we cover. It is truly uh, a giant meal of cinema flavors from uh, Steve Buscemi, Carol Kane, International Film Fest, focuses on directors, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, all kinds of stuff going on over there. Uh, if they're, you know, if they do the social media thing, if you don't, that's fine. But maybe you do. Maybe you waste some time on on the on the meads. Waste uh, time. Yeah, maybe you do waste some time on the meads. Mm -hmm. You're gonna look for Cinepunks, C I N E P U N X on all platforms, uh, except for Snapchat, because you know, fuck you. But uh, <laughs> Cinema Smorg is uh, a Cinema Smorgasbord. It's just at Cinema Smorg on Twitter. That's S M O R G. Yeah, you can also, of course, follow 
all of us on Twitter. You can follow Sarah under the name Fuka This. We'll, of course, link that in the show notes. Liam is on there at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And you can follow me on Twitter as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. We want to get people listening to Cinema Smorgasbord in the year 2022. So why don't you refer it to a friend if you're enjoying yourself right now? Why don't you suggest it to someone on social media yourself? Or at the very least, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? We're going to be back very soon, ladies and gentlemen, with a, another George Kennedy classic. Good night, everybody. I could while away the hours, confirming with the flowers, consulting with the rain. In my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in Thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain.